0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, February 19th. I'm Rob Louie, Editor-in-Chief.
1: And I'm Rachel Del Judas.
0: Today, we're featuring our exclusive interview with North Carolina's Lieutenant Governor. His name is Dan Forrest, and he recently visited the Heritage Foundation, well in Washington.
1: We'll also share some of your feedback on Rob's recent interview with Black Lives Matter activist, Hawk Newsome.
0: And Michaela Stedman joins us later in the show to tell us about an amazing rescue of a newborn baby in South Africa.
1: Up next is Darren Forrest.
0: Hello, this is Rob Louie for The Daily Signal. We're joined on today's show by North Carolina's Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, a familiar face for The Daily Signal, and our audience, it's good to be with you.
2: Well, thank you guys for having me on. It's always great to be back at the Heritage Foundation and a huge fan of The Daily Signal. It's part of my daily reading material, so thank you for everything you guys do.
0: Well, we appreciate that, and we appreciate the past interviews you've done with us and visiting Heritage today. You know, I want to ask uh, just... To kick things off for our listeners, tell us what's going on in North Carolina. Some of the issues that you're working on today.
2: Well, we're you know we're kicking back up our session again in North Carolina. Now it's our long session, and you know, we've been in Republican control down there for about eight years. And really, what I tell people every day is kind of more of the same for us. We've you know turned our economy around. We've gone from very high unemployment to very low unemployment. We have uh, gone from very high taxation to very low taxation, and our economy is booming again. We're gonna. We're going to keep moving on those things. The difference this day is that we have a Republican legislature and a Democrat governor, and they have very different agendas. And it's going to be interesting to watch over the next eight or nine months or so how that plays out and what, what people's priorities are. So I'm sure we'll get into some detail about those priorities, but that's really what's on the scene right now.
0: Yeah, well, obviously, you know, with uh, with President Trump, but touting the economy himself and some of the gains we've seen yeah. both in jobs and, and really uh, across the board, helping uh, groups of all kinds uh, really achieve employment in, in ways that we haven't seen in a number of years. Uh, what are some of the things that you've seen work in North Carolina when it comes to to getting people back to work and, and cutting taxes and doing things that really spur that growth?
2: Well, tax reform, primarily. A, a few years ago, we did uh, comprehensive tax reform in North Carolina. We we're the only state in America that was successful at it. There were 36 states that tried it. And uh, when we did that, we ended up moving from 44th in the nation in uh, uh, business tax climate uh, down to number 15 in one year it was the largest leap in tax foundation uh, history for business tax climate. Uh, we went all the way to number three in the nation on, on corporate tax climate and so we saw the economy immediately turn around we saw you know people um, who uh, were very skeptical of tax reform who were saying the government's going to go out of business we're not going to have any money for education we're not going to have any money for health care and we saw just the opposite happen so we we cut income tax on the corporate and personal side. We got personal income tax. And you know what happened? The revenues with the state actually went up for for personal income tax. It was actually more money in the coffers. And we've been seeing uh, surpluses year over year of $300 million to half a billion dollars every single year since we did tax reform. And so the whole world knows that North Carolina is open for business. And we're creating about 6,000 jobs a month right now. and, And we've been rolling on that for a number of years.
1: Well, today, Democrats released the Green New Deal that has been touted by uh, the Democrat lawmaker Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in this Green New Deal it includes a provision that says it wants economic security for those who are unable or unwilling to work. What is your take of this legislation? Um, What's your take? Where do you think it should go?
2: Uh, in the trash can is really where it should go. I mean, I think it speaks for itself. Just the words alone are so unbelievable in America today. But obviously, she has a following. I mean, she you know she uh, has more than just her district following her. She's a kind of a rock star these days, and I get that. Um, but you know, this is so anti-American in every way uh, that yeah, the trash can is about the only place for this uh, legislation. One of the other issues that you're seeing uh, Democrats in Washington push,
0: push very aggressively is Medicare for all, single-payer single, single mm-hmm. health care. Those of us uh, on the conservative side and particularly at the Heritage Foundation believe those decisions should not be made in Washington but pushed down to states. So as somebody who is lieutenant governor of your state, what is your view about a conservative or a consumer-friendly health care policy?
2: Well, not one that's in the government's hands, obviously. I mean, try to find uh – anything that the government runs that it really does efficiently. So uh, healthcare is, uh, you know, such a huge part of our economy that we've got to turn this thing around. We've got to do it the right way. In North Carolina, you know, obviously there's, kind of a, a push that you know people are talking about that but we're still in charge of the legislature there they're not interested in that I know our, our new governor is going to be pushing uh, Medicaid expansion in North Carolina um, you know a lot of that interests a lot of people you know we need to make sure that we're doing the best we can to take care of the poor in, in our state but you know I don't, first of all I don't believe that Medicaid is good health care it's really poor health care for poor people we should be ashamed of ourselves that we're just making ourselves feel good by giving people poor health care so I'm not a fan of Medicaid expansion I'm a fan of of doing it our way, do it, kind of doing it the North Carolina way. So if we can grow it and provide good health care for people along the way and not rely on the federal government, uh, not play have to play by the federal government's rules, not to have to ask them for waivers, not to, you know, decide what's gonna happen when they end up pulling funding away after a certain number of years. We need to do it our way, the North Carolina way, in a way that really does provide good healthcare for the people.
1: As Lieutenant Governor of a state, what do you make of seeing other states, like New York, legalize abortion up to no birth, not. Virginia pursued similar legislation, and the Governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, he made comments that um, seem to you know say that he's comfortable with supporting infanticide. What do you make of all of this as a Lieutenant Governor yourself?
2: Well, I think I make the same thing of it that any human being would make of this. I think it's a, a really just a lack of respect for human dignity is what we're seeing right now. Um, you know, whether you're looking at kind of the, the Northam's uh, blackface Klan picture, that's a human dignity issue, right, if you're if you're willing to do those things. But related to New York, it's, it's probably the most egregious legislation uh, that I've ever seen in my life. It's, it's kind of the first piece of legislation that – just really made me sad in America that human beings can literally think that they can kill a baby for convenience uh, for any reason. They took all restrictions off of that. And that's really pretty sad to me. Um, I I think that uh, personally, I think it's an overreach. I, I think that the left has overreached on this. I think we all know statistically, the vast majority of Americans don't believe in late term abortion like this. And Uh, So, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that the people wake up. I hope their eyes are open on this one and they actually come out and stand strong against this in the rest of the states across our country, even the federal government. This is a place for intervention to happen, even the Supreme Court.
0: I know education is a priority issue for you. We recently celebrated National School Choice Week. What can you tell us about the state of affairs there in North Carolina?
2: Well, it's always a battle. You know, we've opened up... uh, uh, charter schools in North Carolina, we lifted the cap on that. We've seen them grow uh, exponentially. They're performing very well demographically across the board. They're more diverse than traditional uh, public schools. That's always kind of an attack on charters. But ours in North Carolina are demographically very diverse, and they're doing very well. Uh, some places aren't seeing the growth they'd like to see, but they're seeing better performance. And the one thing I can say about like charters specifically, as far as choice goes, is that in our state, if they're not performing, we shut them down. We can't do the same thing with poor traditional public schools, but why would we not give uh, parents and students a choice to get an excellent education, an opportunity scholarship? It go, in North Carolina, it goes to the poorest of the poor student. Who's in a, if you have a parent who has a kid in a poor performing school and they're not providing the education they need, they can take their dollars from the state and they can invest them in a private school. Why would we say no to that? You know, that that's, uh, kind of blows my mind, but there are a lot of people that really do say no to that concept.
1: You tweeted near the end of January that legislation in your state was filed to ban female genital mutilation. What's next for that, and what's your hope for this down the road as it goes through committee?
2: Uh, well, my hope is that it passes. I think it's bipartisan. I haven't heard anybody that disagrees with this. You know, the federal government had it in their purview. A judge, I think, a federal judge rightly took it out of the federal government's hands and placed it back into the state, but it left a big gap there. So there are states that aren't addressing this issue. Uh, we know it's very harmful to young girls specifically – And um, it's a cultural issue. It's not a religious issue. A lot of people say, well, isn't this a religious preference? And there's nowhere in the world that this is a religious issue. This is a cultural issue. And we just don't want it to come North Carolina. So we're really trying to fill that gap that the federal government left wide open. And other states have done that, too. And I, I think this will sail through.
0: So many states have seen the negative impact of illegal immigration, whether it's drugs coming across the border and the opioid crisis that we're dealing with. How has it affected North Carolina, in your view?
2: Well, I'd say it's affected North Carolina the same way it affects anywhere, right? I mean, I think this is a – it is a national crisis in America. I think we have to deal with it. I think we've seen uh, Congress uh, kick the can down the road way too long on this issue. My gut would be that if you could – get together any 10 people, reasonable people in a room at any time uh, without the politics, you could probably solve this pretty quickly. I think the president was right. We need a wall and that wall should have a big, beautiful door in it, I think was his term. And uh, you know, really what he means by that is you know, we should give people IDs when they come to the border. We should know who's coming in our country and who's going out of our country and how long they're here. And we should make sure we have the workforce we need and the workforce that our agriculture we're a big agriculture state in North Carolina. And we need the workforce there. We need uh workforce force for uh, construction because, you know, our state's growing tremendously. These people need to find workers. Uh, but we also need to make sure that wages aren't suppressed in doing that, that American wages are, are being are being driven up because of the lack of illegal immigration uh, so people can make a real living as Americans as well. Right. And so we need a fairness in that. And, and the wall will provide that, I believe. I, I mean, I think once you build the wall and you secure, then you can determine what do you do with identification at that point? I mean, we can give everybody some form of ID At that point, we know who they are. We can, you know, uh, manage the coming and going of people in our country. And that's the way it should be.
1: I'm curious, how is Hurricane Florence uh, recovery going in your state? I was there uh, a couple months ago talking with uh, Samaritan's Purse, and they were helping people recover. It's just amazing to see. I was down there a few months ago, uh, the loss of life, and several people died as well as hundreds of thousands of homes that were damaged. How is that going, Um, and what is the trajectory looking like for how much time you guys have left to recover? How long do you think it will take?
2: Uh, Wow, that's such a great question. You know, we haven't recovered from Matthew prior to Florence. Um, You know, there were hundreds of millions of dollars that were left on the table and homes weren't being rebuilt in North Carolina. Uh, I think it's kind of a travesty down there that this money's been left on the table. I worked with Samaritan's Purse as well. I took my staff down there and— and we did some some work in Newburn. It was it was devastating to our state. You know, it's one of those hurricanes, it's a flood event, and you can't really see the damage. So I flew over the state in a helicopter and for hours and there were just hundreds of square miles underwater that have never been flooded before. So these people don't have insurance, didn't have flood insurance, you didn't need it. You know, you've never been underwater. And so there are people that have been devastated. Their lives have been devastated. And, you know, South Carolina had a much better plan than North Carolina, the way that they had worked with, especially with the federal government, worked with FEMA to get, have all their paperwork together so they could recover quickly. Uh, From Matthew, they had built, I think, a thousand homes before we had built one. And so uh, the system was broken in North Carolina. I'm hoping we get it fixed soon. But this is, I think, to answer your question directly, it's going to be a long-term recovery. Um, We have one of the best emergency management teams in the country. They're really phenomenal. Uh, The recovery process is broken.
0: And finally, I want to ask the question about communicating conservative principles, uh, those things that we hold so dear. As you're talking to constituents, what advice do you have for people who are listening or or others who are in a role like that in terms of making sure that those ideas really connect and resonate with people.
2: Well, I think they're the ideas that made America great. It's it's not something we should walk around apologizing for, you know. There's no reason to, you know, uh, tuck your tail and walk around and say I'm a conservative. These are the things that give people individual freedom. They give them economic freedom. They are, they're free market ideas. Are the things that have improved the world, uh, you know, a thousand times over over the last couple hundred years. And America has really charted the course for that. It's because of these American ideals uh, that we have gotten to where we are. So to see that, you know, start to make this U-turn and, and head back. Uh, in the other direction is kind of disturbing. So I don't think we need to be apologetic about it. I think we need to share our message, but we need to be able to convince people as to why it's the best message. And I think we need to do that in story form. You know, I I think our opponents are really good at telling emotionally connecting stories, With these facts. We're good about talking about facts and facts don't connect. So we need to make sure that we're connecting the true stories about people's lives with the facts so that people can understand the real impact they have, not just here in America, but around the world. Well, I certainly
0: endorse that advice. We try to do it every day at The Daily Signal. You do a
2: great job of it.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, thanks for visiting Heritage and The Daily Signal. Thanks for having me on.
3: Are you looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The Agenda. Each Tuesday in The Agenda, you will learn what issues Heritage scholars on Capitol Hill are working on, what position conservatives are taking, and links to our in-depth research. The Agenda also provides information on important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online, as well as media interviews from our experts. Sign up for The Agenda on Heritage.org today.
0: Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. We certainly received quite a few about Hawk Newsom, the Black Lives Matter activist that we featured on the show earlier this month. Well, we can't read them all. We wanted to share a few with you today.
1: We'll start with Kathleen Anderson of Walla Walla, Washington. Thank you so much for the interview with Hawk Newsom. We can't be afraid to listen and talk. Regular media won't do it. They need to have the deck stacked. I appreciate hearing this young man. He needs to be heard. Please do follow-ups.
0: We certainly will, Catherine. Up next is John Olofsson, who writes, This is the kind of work that the Heritage Foundation should be doing a lot more of. I think we all know black Americans have been used by the Democrats for far too long. Heritage should also be working with President Trump, who gets it, to help them.
1: Your letter could be featured on next week's show. Send an email to letters at dailysignal.com or leave a voicemail message at 202-608-6205.
3: Do you own an Alexa? You can now get the Daily Signal podcast every day as part of your daily flash briefing. It's easy to do. Just open up your Alexa app, go to settings and select flash briefing. From there, you can search for the Daily Signal podcast and add it to your flash briefing so you can stay up to date with the top news of the day that the liberal media isn't covering.
0: We're joined in our studio by Michaela Stedman, who has a story from a faraway country, but is certainly just as inspirational. Michaela, tell us about it.
3: My pleasure, Rob. Probably the last thing paramedics expected to find in a storm drain last week was a newborn baby. And yet, that is exactly what they found after local residents in South Africa reported that they heard the infant crying in the drain. The paramedics rescued the child after spending four hours in the storm drain with a hammer and chisel. There's a video of this rescue that is just incredible. We'll play the audio here in just a second. You can hear the baby crying just before she was lifted out of the drain and handed up to the medics. There's
0: the you ready?
3: That community you heard cheering actually got to name the baby Gabriella, and she was taken to the hospital immediately. While she was very cold and scraped up, she will fully recover.
0: That's an amazing story, Michaela. And wow, that video is powerful. We'll make sure to post that in our show notes for anybody who wants to see it. Why did you pick this one?
3: You know, Rob, while this happened in South Africa, I think it's really applicable to the conversation that we're seeing going on right now here in America about abortion Right now, we're seeing laws presented that allow for the abortion of babies all the way up through birth, and these babies are not much younger than Gabriella, who was only between one and three days old when she was rescued. And I think the story was powerful because it showed a community coming together to save this one child's life. And I hope that we get to see America doing the same to defend both the unborn and born because every life matters, no matter where they came from.
0: Thank you, Michaela. No, I I wholeheartedly agree on that. And Rachel, you've been covering actually some legislation in in the U.S. Congress. Uh, Mm -hmm. Senator Ben Sasse hopes to soon have a vote on.
1: Yeah, they're going to hold a roll call vote on legislation that would protect babies born alive during an abortion. We'll see where this goes. I think it's supposed to be on the 25th. So stay tuned. We'll be covering it.
0: Well, thank you. We're going to leave it there for today. The Daily Signal podcast is broadcast from the Robert H. Bruce radio studio at the Heritage Foundation.
1: You can find it on the Ricochet Audio Network, along with our other podcasts. All of our shows can be found at DailySignal.com podcasts.
0: You can also subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as your Alexa flash briefing.
1: If you like what you hear, please leave us a review or give us feedback. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to others.
0: Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News.
1: The Daily Signal podcast will be back tomorrow with Kate and Daniel.